You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. With me this week is Kip Adams. We had a little bit of a break, had a busy week last week with National Signing Day, the February edition, and uh, had a little bit of travel with the Auburn-Georgia men's basketball game, went out there. Uh, to uh, the Plains and, and took that one in and wrote a little bit about that. But we are back and better than ever. Uh, a lot to talk about, a lot to tackle this week. Uh, Kip, how is this week treating you as uh, we get back into form uh, with another podcast? Yeah, like most Georgia fans, I, I slept through National Signing Day. Uh, I think, you know, about three or four o'clock rolled around and, you know, we decided nothing's going to happen today. So, uh, you know, we, we, Rusty and I said we'd kind of seen it all through our 15, 16 uh, signing days we'd, we'd been through to date. And, well, this was still a new experience for us where I just absolutely nothing happened, uh, you know. So I'd like to say it was refreshing, but we still got to, you know, check and see and be prepared for anything. And and then, you know, the offensive lineman, Jamal Merriweather out of Brunswick in my hometown, representing Glen County there, signed the next day. So, you know, you still had some some news to cover that week. But, uh, yeah, kind of this is our chance to catch our breath a little bit and reflect on what we've seen, but also get prepared because spring practices is, is right around the corner. So this is kind of, I guess, when people tell us, uh, you know, when do things kind of calm down? I guess we're kind of in that little lull right now. And, and at the, the coaches are as well. I'm sure they're all uh, skiing, whether that's water skiing or, you know, getting that snowboard out, uh, you know, on the, on the bunny slopes. I think that's kind of what the coaching staff's doing right now. And, no, we're not doing that. We're here to still talk about Georgia sports and Georgia football, but uh, yeah, there's still plenty to talk about. And it's it really, we never really caught our breath. It's a whirlwind. Once the season starts getting into the the postseason, it, it's you know everything's kind of happening at the same time. Uh, recruiting cranks it up a notch at the same time that now under Kirby Smart, Georgia's playing you know really really important football games. So it's it's kind of a very weird. A lot of people would say just scheduling error that we have everything like that happening all at once. And for us, you know, we're just trying to, to cover it as best we can. And now just get ready to do it all over again. Talking season definitely never ends. And you talk about the coaches being out and about and and maybe they have something planned. But I'll tell you, someone who is not far from Athens is Kirby Smart. He was on the sideline uh, for the basketball game, had courtside seats with Mary Beth and Andrew taking in that game. And talk a little bit about that to wrap up the the episode. But um, this is going to be primarily a mailbag episode. we got a lot of questions. And if you're watching this live, if you have questions, drop them in the comments. We always like getting a good mix of questions from the junkyard, but also questions from the people who are tuning in live. 
But before we do that, I do want to tackle some of the stuff that has happened in the last week. And and let's start with that signing date. You know, we, we mentioned it. Jamal Merriweather is the only player who signs for Georgia. He actually signs the day after, makes it official. I'm still waiting to hear about Deuce Robinson. It sounds like maybe in April he may have a decision on where he's going. Uh, the other player that we were looking at as a, a potential addition for Georgia was another tight end, Walker Lyons. He signs with USC, uh, decides he's going to stay out there on the West Coast. Kip, what did you make of the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of moves made by Georgia? Obviously, they already had the number two class, um, but the fact that they they wound up adding one guy and uh, are kind of waiting to see what happens with another, but on the whole, that it was a pretty quiet week. Yeah, but and as it should be, that's that's what you want. You you want to uh, land all your targets in December. That's when most of them do it now. And in the end, it, it just co- comes down to a couple spots, and you, you save those for elite prospects. And, and Deuce Robinson, he admits himself, his recruitment's a little different with him potentially being a high Major League Baseball draft pick. Uh, he's trying to to make that decision, you know, uh, knowing that the draft isn't until, uh, I think, July this year, and then knowing that the, the signing deadline, if you're going to actually sign a letter of intent, that deadline, I believe, is uh, April 1st. And I think covering Demetrius Robinson, that was one of those where it went right down kind of to the deadline. And then we find out, you know, he's he's not signing that. He's going to sign financial aid paper. It, you know, that that kind of is – you start looking at that calendar and you're like, if he's going to sign those traditional letters of intent and he's got to do so by April, that's what he's saying right now, that he intends on doing that. So I guess for him it's, it's about finding out, where, you know, where that draft stock is. But at the same time, I think – when you know the Major League Baseball draft is, is not until July, and you, you, right now you plan on signing, I think it's it's just kind of one of those things where, yeah, you sign somewhere. If you get drafted, you get drafted. You're still able to go to you know to, to the major leagues if uh, you know if you sign a letter of intent. So I think he kind of knows that now. Like you know, he he's able to wait. Georgia, USC, those, Texas, those programs are going to hold a spot for him. So I, I think right now, if I'm if you're Georgia, you still feel pretty good about where you are with Deuce Robinson. I, I think uh, right now, I would still give them the edge. He's an elite talent. Georgia's already signed an elite class again, number two in the class rankings, and a, an outstanding group from top to bottom. I think it's uh, you know second or third best class that Kirby Smart's ever signed. I think second, uh, a top fifteen class overall right now. You know, if you just look at 24-7 sports history, uh, I believe it's either 14th or 15th, uh, depending on uh, you look at USC's, I think, 2007 class, that might be 14th. But again, like I said, all time, top 15 class overall, that's the kind of uh, incoming group of talent that can help you compete for championships. And with, I think, 18 of them already being on campus, it's such a huge boost. Uh, last year, they set the the program record, I believe, with 18 early enrollees. Match it this this cycle. Uh, it, it's big. It, it just really helps these guys. And a lot of these guys are going to get a chance to, to, you know, get some significant snaps with injuries and the offseason surgeries that some guys have. You're able to kind of come in and, and really step into an important role and audition. See if you can and play an important role in year one for a team that we think will once again be ranked very high in all the offseason rankings, top three, number one. Regardless, I think Georgia has made sure that that roster is set up to be one of the best in college football for the next couple of years. 
not too shabby to just, you know, oh, just get another top 15 class of all time. You know, no no big deal there. Nothing to uh, to roll your eyes at. Uh, one of the things that's nice about, you know, this time of year and when we do these podcasts is that sometimes there are new, there's news that happens in, you know, the hours and minutes leading up to the podcast. I want to make sure I mention this, too. Um, you know, we're recording this uh, on uh, Wednesday, uh, just past 2 p.m. Eastern time. So earlier today. Uh, we found out 12 Georgia players are going to be headed to the combine. They've been invited to participate in the combine. I run through those names real quick. Quarterback Stetson Bennett, running back Kenny McIntosh, wide receiver Kiaris Jackson, tight end Darnell Washington, offensive lineman Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon, defensive tackle Jalen Carter, outside linebackers Robert Bill and Nolan Smith, corner Keely Ringo, safety Chris Smith, and kicker Jack Podlesny. Uh, that was all but one player who has declared from Georgia, the other being offensive lineman Warren Erickson. And uh, I think, again, you got another really good group for Georgia that's going to be going. Uh, you know, Georgia was sort of the talk of last year's combine. They really stole the show with how everybody played. I mean, I think even Jake Camarda, the punter, all of a sudden he was getting compared to his 40 time to some of the quarterbacks from past year. So, um, you know, I don't think it'll be quite at that level just because of the, the talent that was in that group. The fact that what five defenders wound up going in the first round of last year's draft, but this is still going to be a really, really strong group. Um, I think there will be a lot of anticipation on what Stetson's able to do there. Uh, obviously, everybody will be watching Jalen Carter because he does have a very good chance to be the number one overall pick. Uh, again, it may not be to the level that it was in 2022, uh, but I think these guys will represent Georgia well and, and get plenty of buzz coming out of this. Kip, what are your thoughts on this group, this dozen dogs that are going to be getting ready to go to Indianapolis? Yeah, unless the Bears trade that number one overall pick, I would say that right now you got to give Jalen Carter at worst 50-50 odds of being the number one overall pick. You got to, you know, obviously Will Anderson, the edge from Alabama, is going to be in the mix for that too. But I like where Jalen Carter sits. Anytime number one overall picks and back-to-back drafts, it's just kind of just another, you know, feather in Georgia's cap, uh, which again, last year, uh, broke records left and right uh, this year, you know, going to be able to, to potentially have that as far as the recruiting trails, especially, you know, you'll get Trey Scott. He's going to be able to say, uh, you know, I, I, I number one overall draft pick back to back years. And then, you know, if I look at this group, yeah, Erickson not being invited, even though he wasn't, you know, uh, a starter this year was, was somewhat surprising. I think he's got a draftable grade and might, you know, get drafted a, ahead of one or two of the other guys that were invited from Georgia in this, in this combine class. Uh, if I, I'm, I'm thinking eight guys are in really good shape to get drafted uh, out of this group. If you look at Jalen Carter, Broderick Jones, Keely Ringo, Darnell Washington, Chris Smith, uh, Kenny McIntosh, Warren McClendon, and Nolan Smith, those guys – we like their chances. And then you kind of just get to some coin flip guys. And I know you already said on the junkyard, you feel pretty good about Stetson Bennett getting drafted. And then you have, again, Robert Beal. Uh, you, you talked about a pod and, and Warren Erickson. Here's Jackson as well. I think those are all kind of coin flip guys. Once you get outside the top 150, it all comes down to each team's board. Stetson playing that premium position probably gives them a pretty good chance. It's also a position, again, that doesn't, you know, get – only one guy plays it's, it's different than the kind of offensive line wide receiver defensive back so that that might go against him as well based on his draft grade but i think there's a good chance you get two of those guys drafted 
gives Georgia 10. 10 is the safe bet right now for Georgia. And you look at last year's draft, Georgia with 15 draft picks, 25 draft picks in two years is incredible. And then you also just think about the fact that LSU was second last year with 10. So, you know, we're not looking at a situation where Georgia really fell back. They'll probably be in the top two or three programs in draft picks this year as well. So I, I think it's just incredibly impressive by Kirby Smart and that coaching staff on the recruiting trails and then also just developing because that was something that Georgia, you know, he always talked about Georgia underachieving. Uh, Georgia's recruiting classes not, you know, coming to fruition. Well, now they are. And again, like we said, it's it's one less thing that can be recruited against Georgia. You're really running out of things you could say about Georgia negatively on the recruiting trails right now. Yeah, talking about Stetson and his chances, and I think we might have talked about this on the last podcast. I would have to say that uh, he probably should send a thank you card to Brock Purdy because I think some of these teams in the you know, sixth, seventh round, if he's still on the board, which you know my, my guess is he probably goes in the fourth or fifth round, uh, but that if he's still there that late, someone's going to say, "Hey, you know, we've seen some of these late round quarterbacks really shine. Let's take a chance." So. So we'll see, and obviously we'll be all over that by the time we get uh, to April and the draft. Uh, Got a lot of questions, but we're going to take a break first and come back, start answering your questions uh, on a number of topics. Uh, But first, we'll take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. And before we get into these questions, I wanted to mention, and I didn't write the username down, uh, but someone asked for us to go back and look at our preseason predictions on statistics. And I'll try to gather those up from before the season. And hopefully next week, that'll be one of our podcasts. We can kind okay. of dive through them and see who was right. And uh, mm. we missed the mark a little bit. Not feeling real great at looking at those, but but we'll see. And uh, figure out how, how we did. Uh, but we'll get into some of these questions that we are ready for. High Standard asks, which position group did the dogs hit on the most in the 23 class? Which group do they need to focus on for 24? Uh, I'll start with this, Kip. I uh, had a second to kind of think and, and look through the numbers and, and see where everything played out. I would say the position group they did the best with, I would say, would be inside linebacker. I mean, they've got three of the the best inside linebackers in the country with Raylan Wilson, C.J. Allen, Troy Bowles. I think they did an excellent job there. Uh, wide receiver as well, you know. And there were questions kind of going into the the latter part of that recruiting cycle. Um, how was this going to shape up? Was Georgia going to be able to get the receivers they needed, especially going into this class? Uh, they knew receiver was a big need going in for the 2023 season. Tyler Williams, Anthony Evans, Yazid Haynes, I really like what they got there. 
Uh, for 24, I would say quarterback's a big one because right now they're at three scholarship quarterbacks. Who knows if that's going to be the case even by the time they go into the season. Um, so obviously they have got Ryan Puglisny. Uh, you're also looking uh, at Dylan Riola as a real possibility, and obviously we'll watch to see if that happens. Uh, and besides that, I would say probably to watch two defensive end. You know, it seemed like some of those five technique guys, you know, weren't weren't quite able to land some of those guys. And they've got some really talented edge rushers that, you know, could wind up getting, uh, you know, putting their hand in the dirt and playing there or standing up playing outside linebacker. So, you know, guys like a Samuel and Pimba and some of the other guys they got, maybe they decide their best fit for defensive end. Um, that would be a position I would watch as well in 2024. Uh, Kip, what do you think they did the best as far as the talent they got in 23 and, and the positions they really need to take care of in this next cycle? It's really hard to bet, you know, bet against the trio that Glenn Schumann brought in. I think, you know, uh, other than maybe like Anthony Hill, they brought in the three best inside linebackers, I think, in, in the entire country. Um, and they each just have such versatile skill sets and, you know, already – one of them getting called out by Kirby Smart in this post-national championship press conference. You know, uh, at the end of the press conference, not being asked anything to call out C.J. Allen for the job he did on scout team when the guy had a week, you know, if, you know, maybe two weeks. So less than 10 days, single-digit days of practice to go out there and, and be TCU's starting inside linebacker. And to get a call out from Kirby Smart after the national championship game, it was just an incredible, uh, you know, quote by Kirby Smart just to, to say that he did it better than they did it or did it as well as they did it uh, for C.J. Allen, who some people think might be the third most talented inside linebacker they got, just because Raylan Wilson just has that NFL, you know, he checks all the boxes from a standpoint of a guy that's going to be able to play on Sundays, and then, and then you know also just you know, looking at the group in general and, and looking at a guy like Troy Bowles, who, whose father obviously is an NFL coach and also checks all the boxes as well. That group is just outstanding. But, you know, I like I like the edge trio and they needed it. You know, that was a group that they, they a position that they were hurting for last year. Nolan Smith got hurt. Robert Bill got asked to do a lot. They had to basically change the looks they were giving because, you know, they aren't able to dial up the same kind of pressures with the guys they had. Those guys are gone. You needed talent. And you signed three guys who are among the top 75 overall prospects in the country, including maybe the best edge guy in the class and Damon Wilson, a top 20 guy in the country with, with like you said, Samuel and Pimba and, and Gabe Harris. Those are both top 70 overall prospects in the country. And you needed that. So while I think that linebacker trio, you know, probably just overall the three guys are elite at their position as far as just needing to get help at the edge defender position more, you know, the last couple of classes haven't really, you know, brought forth the uh, the impact that that they were looking for this trio has a chance to come in and play really important roles and the fact again that all all three of them are already on campus and we know marvin jones jr is coming off that surgery so I, so they're going to get a chance you know right there day one in practice to show we can play an important role in year one and and so I, i'm really looking to see what that group can do uh, and when spring football comes around, because I just know that 
those are guys that were coveted nationally. And, and I think that you, you look at, uh, you know, the, this coaching staff, they were able to, to bring in three really, really talented guys after losing that position coach and Dan Lanning in the off season. So, uh, you know, outstanding group, but uh, job by that guys. And then looking to next year, I agree with you. Five technique is really important. Like just like I said with Edge, uh, you're looking at that defensive end position at Georgia, and it's 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 razor thin. You know, if if Tremel Walthor isn't coming back, uh, you don't have like a, a six year guy in that role. You're 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 moving guys around from the defensive tackle and nose tackle position, which they rotate those guys already, but. You don't have a lot of guys that you know can play that position and, and and play it to you know the way that you want them to do. So I think you look at next year and, and you look at some of those defensive line targets like Edric Houston from Buford, a, a five-star guy. Uh, they're extending more offers every week at that position because they're going to have to take two, if not three, guys at the five-technique position alone just to fill the need in this class. It's going to be real big. And then also, I just think the offensive line. You start looking ahead to the guys that are they're leaving and uh you know the fact that you're able to get a cedric van pram back uh was huge the fact that you have you know you're starting into your offensive line back huge but you know you're going to be losing a lot of guys you know cedric van pram's going to be gone you know that tate ratledge is going to have the opportunity to leave uh, you know that xavier truss uh is it's going to be gone you know that marius mims is going to have a chance to leave and probably will as well so you're probably going to replace some three if not four starters along your offensive line Obviously, you're probably going to have guys on campus to fill those roles, but you got to retool there. So not just an offensive tackle, offensive guard and center. You got to definitely sign a, a full class, and it's a position over a group overall that kind of down nationally. So uh, that you know, it, you look at Stacy Sarrells in his first full cycle here. He's going to have a tall task ahead of him, but uh, I think uh, you looked at the group he brought in last year. He showed that. Now, he could still recruit at a high level, and I, I think that's going to be a position group that you know he has to go nationally to to fulfill his needs for the next cycle. Yeah, I wanted to make sure and call out Brad Newsom in the comments. He said we need more four and five star offensive linemen in twenty twenty four, and I think he's exactly right. And, and Kip, you talk about that, but I look at the depth going into twenty twenty three. I mean, there there are some questions behind some of these guys. You know, we we really think probably. Amarius Mims and Ernest Green, you know, they look like they're probably going to be your starting offensive tackles. The question is sort of those guys behind, you know, is a true freshman like Monroe Freeling going to be in the mix as far as the the twos go? Um, A guy like Austin Blasky, who's moved around the offensive line and has played center some. I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of sure things behind them. And again, they, they did add some some decent tackle depth, but some of those guys are true freshmen. And you don't, you definitely don't want to be in a situation where, say, somebody gets hurt, where all of a sudden, you know, and if you're in a big game, say you're on the road, and all of a sudden you're turned into a f- true freshman, that that would be a lot to ask of a guy, and it's only going to get worse after the 2023 season, just knowing what they're going to lose. Blasky's huge, huge spring for him, and like you said, you, you talk about the road. Uh, can you even, you know, do you even have the roster spots to to bring guys like that? You don't want to do that. So I think he's going to have a really important role this season. If he's not starting, if they're going with a guy like Amarius Mims and Ernest Green at left or right tackle, he's got he's going to be not only the swing guy there, but he could be the backup, you know, center. Uh, <laughs> he could be the number two guy at basically all five positions along the offensive line. So definitely a big spring for him. And then yeah, Dylan Fairchild's a guy that 
I think you start looking at your your guard positions, Xavier Trust, Tate Rattledge. Feel pretty good about those guys, but I think maybe Dylan Fairchild might be that next guy to kind of push both of them. And, and again, uh, injuries happen. I think he's kind of that next guy up there. Uh, and then, yeah, at center, I think Velasquez probably going to be that number two guy. And I, I think he's, again, could be the most important offensive lineman in this group just because of that versatility. I think by the end of the season, he basically has a starter's amount of snaps just because he's going to be stepping in for, you know, possibly at all five positions, which truly unique. But when you, you know, you sign guys like that and we talk about that versatility and cross training, I really think that that's going to be pivotal for him in Georgia this season. Yeah, he's a guy that could be very valuable, especially just giving uh, uh, guys some breaks and, and getting a chance to play at different positions. Uh, stay with another recruiting question, this one from Big Dog 342 Do you see us taking three running backs in this class as far as a 24 class? So to get everybody up to speed to this point, Georgia has two commits, Dwight Phillips Jr. and Tavani Mizell, I should say, two commits at the running back position. Uh, you know, going into this season, they've got five scholarship running backs. They've got Kendall Milton, Dejan Edwards, Branson Robinson, Andrew Paul, and then Roderick Robinson, who is the freshman that they signed in the 23 cycle. You know, it, you would think probably Kendall Milton and, and Dejan will probably move on after this coming season. I, I believe they'll both be seniors. Um, so it opens up uh, and gives you three scholarship guys. Um, so I, my thought on where this stands as far as running back, I think they'll probably try to sign two running backs. Um, I saw people saying, you know, well, could they get three and or will it be two? And maybe one of those guys who's not committed winds up not signing. Yeah, I don't know anything about specifically those two guys, but we are still very early in this cycle. You now, you will see guys with all these schools, guys who have committed, guys who decide to decommit, go elsewhere as the cycle goes along. I think they'll sign two running backs. Will it be the two that are committed right now? I think it's too early to say. Uh, but I think at the end of the, the day, they will go into this class, add two more running backs, uh, and then move it along, make sure. Again, we saw even this past season how important that running back depth was. You know, they lose Andrew Paul during fall camp. You get Kenny McIntosh banged up. He kind of plays through it. You got Kendall Milton hurt, and he misses a few games. You got to have – Guys, you can count on to take carries because if you get into SEC games and cannot run the football because you don't have the guys, you're going to be in real trouble. Yeah, I think, like you said, uh, they're going to sign two this cycle. I don't think they'll sign three. Obviously, Dwight Phillips is a guy that's very versatile and his, you know, his speed is, you know, allows him to to do a lot of different things for you. And you know that versatility is going to help uh, him, but I think. You know, he sticks at running back. I think they think that he can get, you know, up to 180, 185 pounds coming in, maybe play up to 190 pounds in in college and kind of be that Sony Michelle type player for them. And so if I'm if I'm looking at this running back class, I also know that Del McGee is still after Jared Gibson. Happens to be the number one overall running back in the country. Not the type of guy that you're gonna say no to. And then also uh, we we saw uh, last month when the the coaches were on the road, they made sure to visit Chauncey Bowens, uh, the running back out of the Benjamin School in North Palm Beach, Florida, who happens to be committed to Florida. And then, right after that that helicopter visit from Kirby Smart at the high school, made a visit to Georgia and and said he's coming back. That's something to definitely keep an eye on. I think again, 
in recruiting now, you, you have to just continue to recruit throughout the cycle. And especially here we are in February, just a week off of the national signing day for the last cycle. Uh, you can't really think about, you know, I have this many spots filled because they have no spots filled right now. They do have verbal commitments from two running backs. They're going to sign two running backs. Will they be the same names they have on the commitment list right now? It's, it's way too early to say. I just know that Del McGee is a really important class for him. And I think he signs two guys and probably two guys end up ranked in the top 10 at their position when all is said and done this class. Another question on here from Flood the Swamp who asks, it's been on the board, but would love your opinion on how UGA replaces the receiving threat out of the backfield this season since Kenny McIntosh and James Cook are both gone. Uh, Kip, what are your thoughts? Um, I can kind of chip in once you sort of give your take, but um, losing a a huge weapon in Kenny McIntosh, and obviously it's going to be something uh, that's going to be tough to fill when you go into a new season. I think, you know, again, as of recording this podcast, Todd Monken is the offensive coordinator at Georgia. Uh, we'll see if the NFL continues to, you know, try to call and, and snag him away. But the one thing I know that he does is he models his playbook after the personnel. And we've seen this question a lot in the junkyard. How are you going to replace Kenny McIntosh? Where are they going to get those receptions from out of the backfield? And I think my answer to that is, while they will look and see what guys like Dijon Edwards will see if, you know, a healthy Andrew Paul, uh, how Roderick Robinson can handle that, uh, what Kenny, you know, Kendall Milton can do. My opinion is, is that you adjust the playbook. Uh, you're going to see more guys out of the slot getting passes. You know, you bring in a guy like Dominic Levitt, uh, a weapon that's a little different than what you've had on campus. You have an elite pass catcher in Brock Bowers. You also have a guy in Oscar Delp, who, again, in year two, uh, he's more of a receiving threat. He got asked to play the Darnell Washington role uh, late last season when he got hurt because that was kind of the playbook they had. You can't switch it up that late in the season, but in the offseason, you're able to do a full install. And, you know, and he, if he's going to be one of your top weapons, then, again, he's going to get targets. So, in my opinion, you might not have uh, – I mean, I feel pretty confident. You're not going to have a running back with over 40 catches. You might not have a running back with over 30 receptions this year. You might have a guy in the, in the low 20s as your top uh, running back as far as catching passes because those passes are going to go to other positions. You're going to spread the ball out more. Uh, you know, your wide receivers are going to become a, a more in, uh, increased part of the offense as well as you have Dylan Bell going into year two. You know, you have Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint. You always have Lab McConkey. You know, you, you have your incoming uh, wide receiver trio that you talked about before, and you possibly have a healthy Arian Smith, you know. Uh, so if you have all these weapons, you're going to feature them. And I just think that maybe that aspect of Georgia's offense isn't there this year, uh, just based on the personnel that they have, because I don't think running backs that can do what Kenny McIntosh did are that common. It's why he's one of the only guys in the last 20 years to, you know, to be as productive as a running back and as a pass catcher. And so, yeah, Georgia had Sony Michelle, they had Kenny McIntosh, those guys, they're going to have different guys that are going to get the ball in different ways next season. I think you hit the nail on the head and it's sort of a situation where you don't want to try to put a square peg into a round hole because you, you use your strengths and obviously Tom Munkin is um, well established and, and and deserves the attention he's gotten by using the most of the personnel he's got. And I think you're right. If, 
you don't have those kind of backs that can catch the ball, which, you know, I think you still will try to get those guys to develop that part of their game and to try to grow in those ways. But I'm not expecting to see someone like Kendall Milton lining up out wide and, and getting a lot of passes in a game just because that's not what he's best at. I think that Todd Munkin is going to put these guys in a position to succeed and, and try to maximize their ability on the field. Kip, I think we we would be remiss not to take this question talking about Todd Munkin. Hooper Dog Hooper G Dog asks if Munkin leaves, who is on the JD Hill and K K Adams OC boards that you would go after? Um, I'll go first, and we've kind of talked about this just a little because obviously we know there have been interviews done. Uh, you know, Todd has done interviews with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the Baltimore Ravens as well, and I think I'm kind of of the mindset. Let's say Todd Munkin does leave. I say you try to stick with a piece of the staff that's already in place. It's sort of a don't uh, don't fix what isn't broken. And to me, you could kind of go a number of different ways with that. You could go bring back Buster Faulkner from Georgia Tech. Uh, the one caveat with that is he's never called plays at the Power 5 level. And maybe he decides he wants to stay in Atlanta and try to be part of that. Um, people aren't going to like it, but I don't think Mike Bubba would be a bad choice. He's obviously got the experience. I think he's got the trust of the coaching staff. And Todd Munkin applauded him a ton in the buildup to the Peach Bowl and also the national title game in moments where, you know, he wasn't specifically asked about Mike. You know, it wasn't a situation where it's like, well, I got to talk about Mike Bobo now because I've been asked about him. You know, he's talked about support staff and the people around him and, and been chore to you know, pat Mike on the back and, and compliment him for what he's done. But you could go other ways as well. Brian McClendon's a guy that's been an offensive coordinator at the Power 5 level. Do you promote Todd Hartley and say, okay, you've done an outstanding job as a recruiter and obviously coaching these tight ends. Let's add something more to your plate and, and give him the opportunity there. Uh, you can go a number of different ways. I think if it were up to me, I would look at who has been a part of the staff and part of the success that they have had uh, in the last few years and say, okay, we're going to put more on your plate, making sure to really keep that, uh, the ability that they, that this staff has had to work together. That's what's been talked about so much um, with some of the staff members that we've talked to during the playoff run. Kirby's talked about it as well, how good this staff has worked together. And if you do lose Todd Munkin, that's going to be a huge loss. Uh, but I think you could do much worse than to look around at the staff and elevate someone to take on that role and really keeping uh, those guys who work together so well continuing that going forward. I like it. I think, again, we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't say uh, if Bunkin leaves, you know, it's probably Mike Bobo's job to lose. I mean, he wasn't brought in, again, to just to sit back and watch. Uh, I think, again, he's still one of the the best offensive minds in college football has never had a roster like he would have <laughs> as the offensive coordinator at, at Georgia a second time around and and it never had the defense that he had he used to you know they asked him to go out there and score 38 points a game because it was going to be 38 35 uh, you know uh the defense struggled a lot of times under him and put him in very nefarious situations when he was an offensive coordinator uh, I, I think that he will get that first call and probably have that interview. Uh, obviously, Kirby Smart knows him well and knows he can plug him right in. Um, if they're going to go outside the program, 
I think I mentioned to you, I like Alex Atkins, the offensive coordinator at Florida State. Uh, I just think you know, what he has done there and how he uses not not just uh, the tight end position, but also the running backs, the way that he does inside-outside zone there. His background as an offensive line coach, the line of scrimmage being important as well, and, and his ability to recruit the Southeast, his SEC experience. Uh, I think that he would be you know, a guy that – would make a lot of sense and would be a great hire for Georgia if they need an offensive coordinator. He's a guy that should be up for most positions, especially in the Southeast. I just think he's the, the guy that that checks a lot of the boxes that you, you look for. And, uh, you know, knowing the Georgia, Florida, the, you know, the Louisiana, Oklahoma, Texas uh, area, I think that he would do very well in, in that aspect. And I think he has just a balanced offensive attack. And so uh, I think that would be a great hire. Uh, I think he was a guy that was heavily in the mix the first time around. And again, he's impressed. Uh, what he did last year at Florida State, I believe he was a uh, Broyles Award finalist. And uh, he is an up-and-comer. I, I think his best years are still ahead of him. And, and he would be able to do very, very well in Georgia's offense. Yeah, I think before long, Alex Atkins is going to be a head coach somewhere. And and he was someone that was talked about briefly when Matt Luke resigned at Georgia. Some people wondered if he could be an option, but he's done an outstanding job in Tallahassee. And I think he's a name that more and more people in college football are going to come to know uh, just over the next few years. I think he's got a very bright future ahead of him. Kip, we are going to wrap up the question and answer portion of this podcast with the most important one. Mr. Medium Rare asks, if you all had to choose only one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Kip, I'm going to start with you. All right. So immediately, I just want to say pizza. Like, that's my first reaction hearing that question. But as someone who uh, has watched as his metabolism has completely evaporated over the last five six years probably longer i just noticed it in the last five years uh you know i have to i have to go you know with something i think could have you know some semblance of health if i'm eating it every day for the rest of my life i i don't think the question was could eat it every day and and not see and have to buy a new wardrobe uh so so for me i'm thinking Probably, you know, Thai food. Are we allowed to pick a region? Does it have to be a dish? Like, can, you know, can I mix in curry with a little bit of like Laotian, like larb type thing, try to mix it up? Or do I, do I just eat sashimi every day? I think it's got to be something like that. Or, or maybe I just go Greek. You know, maybe in the end I'm thinking about this. Uh, I can eat gyros, some tzatziki sauce, uh, some kebabs. Uh, I think that might be, I think the med- that's part of the Mediterranean diet, right? So I'm, I'm going to stick with that as something I could eat every day, the, the rest of my life, maybe cheating a little bit on the answer, but it's such a broad question that, you know, uh, as, as much as I want to say pizza, I, I think, you know, having some sort of semblance of, uh, balance, uh, might do me well, uh, over the long run. Yeah, I didn't put quite as much thought into it because my thought is, well, I mean, it says only food for the rest of your life. It doesn't say and you have to live 20, 30 more years. I mean, maybe maybe I make it, you know, another year and a half. I I think I'm sticking with going with Mr. Medium Rare's uh, feel. I'm going to go steak. I'd say second place would probably just be barbecue. I'm a big pork barbecue guy. That's usually my go to. But I'm going to just say a nice New York strip every day. Again, I may not make it, but two. With steak, you know, you kind of 
you diversify your options. You can make it a sandwich. You know, you can have steak and eggs for breakfast. Again, I may not be making it to 85, you know, eating a steak for every <laughs> single meal. Uh, but brother, I'm going to go out with a smile on my face. I can promise you that. You could put anything on a pizza, right? So, I mean, this, uh, I'll, I mean, I'll go back to pizza. I, it might have to be cauliflower pizza toward the end, but uh, you know, nice, I'm gonna go. Nice I, I'm gonna put lots of buffalo chicken on there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'll go. I'll go through every single uh, re- region of food. Uh, uh, Mexican pizza, it's all on there. So I guess pizza probably is. I'll just circle back and and make it work. Uh, whether that gives me two or five years, like you said, probably not too long. But uh, hey, you, you never know how long you have. So I'll make the most of it. So that right circle right back around the pizza. Thanks for talking me into it. Not here for a long time. I'm here for a, for a good time there, Kip. Uh, we'll do the men's basketball minute real quick. Uh, rough times for Georgia men's basketball. They are now 14 and 10 overall, four and seven in SEC play. Had a really rough stretch. They have now lost six of their last seven. Lost what really felt like a, a much needed win against Ole Miss at home on Tuesday night. Uh, a game where you got really good production out of Braylon Bridges uh, and Kerry Oquindo having a really good game as well with Terry Roberts unavailable. They can't get the stops they had to have down the stretch. They lose that one. Uh, they play Kentucky on Saturday. Shield your eyes. Oscar Sheboy is going to just come through and, and probably have a really big game once again. Um, it's going to be really rough, I think, close to SEC play for Georgia because You've got Kentucky on Saturday. You play LSU on Valentine's Day, Tuesday night. Uh, you've got at Alabama, at Arkansas, Missouri at home, Florida at home, and then at South Carolina. Wins are going to be very hard to come by to end this season. I don't think uh, the record is going to be what people wanted, but honestly, it's not going to be that far off of what I was sort of anticipating before the year. Um, again, at the end of the day, this team just didn't have really the bigs uh, that they had to have, the the forwards and the center presence to hang with some of these teams, and that's no secret. I know a lot of people are upset, uh, but that's the way it is. But they've gotten some really talented guys. They've gotten Dylan James that's going to be coming in. But the 2024 class, they can go in the portal, try to get more. Actually, I should say he's in the 2023 class. Going after some talented guys in that 2024 class, the number one guy being Aza Newell, uh, who has a chance to be the number one recruit in that cycle by the time it's all said and done. His brother's already on the team as a walk-on. I think that's a battle you've got to win if you're Georgia. And obviously there's no shortage of people involved in it, teams like Indiana uh, and several others who are after ASA. Um, but uh, uh, on a positive note, wrote a story on Wednesday uh, about making some changes within Stegman Coliseum, getting the students closer to the floor, having a chance to really get that noise um, and really make Georgia, uh, you know, help Georgia get a home court advantage. And, uh, you know, it, it. I immediately when they sort of explained the changes that were coming, it made me think of Auburn, the, the place I came from where I covered uh, sports before, that, the you know, the jungle is a big deal at Auburn and, and it gets loud in that arena. And that's what you want. And I think that they understood uh, Mike White coming in that, you know, there is potential at Georgia. And part of that is is getting the crowd into these games and trying to have that effect. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Mike talked about it after the Ole Miss game. Josh Brooks talked about it after the board meeting on Tuesday. A lot of good stuff. I would recommend you guys, if you are basketball fans, go read that story on the board. 
but tough close to this season looks like is coming. Um, but I think there is reason still for optimism. I don't think everyone should be jumping off the ship quite like, you know, a few people on the board a little bit upset about how things have played out here lately. Yeah, I think uh, you look at this season, the the couple games they'd love to have back, obviously the one they just lost really kind of, you know, broke down for them in the end. Then you look back at that Vanderbilt game at the end and then the Georgia Tech game that frankly kind of got stolen from them. Uh, you know, winning two of those three games, maybe get that, it gives them a chance to kind of maybe sneak in as an NIT team. Right? Now we're kind of looking – that last game against us at South Carolina, I believe, to end the regular season still gives them a chance, uh, you know, to end the season was kind of where we predicted, though. Uh, 15 wins was kind of that barometer. We thought they can get to that, which coming off a six-win season, still a huge jump. But I think, again, you still have that opportunity to kind of end the season on a good note. And, you know, they're probably going to come in pretty uh, battered and bruised after the the next couple games, like you said, Kentucky, LSU, Alabama, and then at Arkansas, Missouri, and Florida. Those are those are all re- going to be really tough matchups for Georgia. Uh, but like, if they can stay focused, if Mike White can keep the team focused, uh, I think that South Carolina game is is a winnable game, and kind of hit that number that you know you projected. So, a couple ones that they didn't get at the end. Overall, I think that's the season you could still build on for next year. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode. I do want to, hey, give a shout out to my mom, Debbie Hill. She is retiring after 36 years at the USPS. So I want to make sure and give a shout out to mom. And she's going to get some uh, much needed break. Uh, She may be at the beach for a while because she's definitely deserved it. But we're going to wrap up the episode. Thanks, Kip, for popping on. Thanks for everybody. Who watched this live and who is tuning into it after the fact? We appreciate y'all's support. Keep reading. We're gonna have all kinds of stories this week as we wrap up another week. And understand that you know, on the whole, we're really not that far from spring practice, so uh, plenty to still talk about before it kicks off. So, for Kip Adams, I'm Jordan Hill. Thanks for watching and listening. Until next time, take care. Praise the Lord.